0: This is the Jeff Merrick show on the SportsNet Radio Network.
1: This is the Jeff Merrick show. But this is not Jeff Merrick. Matt Marchese in here for Jeff. Jeff will be back on Monday. He is on assignment. I want to go I want to go on assignment one day. They just tell me I'm off. You're just you're off. I want to be on assignment. Yeah, technical operator Lance Kennedy. In my ear saying, I'm always happy to tell you where to go. You're not wrong, Lance. You're not wrong. Jim Ralph, Toronto Maple Leafs radio analyst, joining me on the line. Um, one of my favorite people. I've known Jim for a long time. And one of my favorite people. Jim actually spoke out at my college, Humber College, and only was nice enough to me because um, I was friends with, with his wonderful daughter. So, um, Jimmy's always been good to me. And Jimmy, um, I will say this. In watching that Leaf game last night, I really do wonder, um, where's all the goal scoring gone?
2: Well, oh, I want to say one thing first, Matty. If you want to get to the point where they send you an assignment, you got to get better guests when you fill in. From-
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Don't tell yourself short. Uh, yeah, that's the, yeah, you
2: know, I, I don't know. I mean, it is uh, it is a mystery. That's um, from a Leaf standpoint. I think only three times this year they've scored more than three goals in a game and one was an empty netter in Winnipeg. So it is uh, it is a mystery. Austin Matthews only has two even strength goals. And, you know, you thought maybe the game against Philly when they won 5-2 and, and John Tavares had the hat, you know, this is the turning point to get the offense going. But, um, you know, it's, it's a mystery to me that not so much that, um, you know, they're not putting up the numbers, but it's not like they're, they're getting stoned every night by a, a hot goaltender. You know, I don't think there's too many games you, you left and said, boy, they, they deserved a lot better than what they got.
1: Well, and and not only that, like, have you noticed something stylistically? Because it does look like they are playing at least a little bit better defensively as a whole. I mean, the defensive unit itself kind of leaves a little bit to be desired, but You know, they're, they're allowing, I think like 2.7 goals per game. So, and they're scoring, I believe, yeah, 2.89 goals per game. So it's very close. Like their goal differential, I think is plus three. And what it seems to me is that the bottom six is where the issues lie. Like no Ilya Mikheyev anymore Alex Kerfoot only has one goal and I do wonder everybody wants to make the point about oh well they need to get a defenseman yeah they they probably do but they may need to add some depth scoring if they want to continue on a run here
2: yeah it's uh yeah you're right I think the the, the bottom six even, even though I mean we have got to the point where Tavares and uh Nylander have been broken up and uh, as of um, Marner and and Matthews so and I, I will say all of this the um you know, as much as we're we're getting to the 20 game mark of the season right now, they're nine five and four. They haven't scored. They lost their their top two goaltenders. Uh, they've lost two of their most valuable defensemen, and uh, and they're still sitting in the playoff spot, second in the division. So, so if there's some good news or a silver lining on the dark cloud, is that while not meeting expectations, they're still not in a horrible spot. So, you feel that if it does eventually click. Um, you know, they're going to be fine. They might even contend for, for top spot in the East. But, um yeah, right now they just, uh, it always seems to be, you know, a step forward and two steps back and, and you start asking the same questions again.
1: It's nothing like Toronto and the media to get all dark clouds when the Leafs have that kind of a record with everything that's apparently gone wrong. But, um, you know, you mentioned Mitch Marner and the, and the splitting up of, of he and and Austin Matthews. Is it too simplistic to call Mitch Marner a fixer? And I know, and it's, it, it, I'm, I'm using it as a term of endearment because wherever he goes, guys on the line produce. And I know Matthews gets a bunch of attention as he should, but I don't think Mitch Marner gets enough credit for being a driver. Like everybody wants to say, Oh, Mitch Marner, you know, he's like the, uh, uh, he's a, he's a very good second piece, but I look at Mitch Marner. I've had this debate with multiple people. Mitch Marner drives lines much to the chagrin of many.
2: Well, uh, James Van Riemsdyk had a career high in goals playing with Mitch Marner. And then John Tavares had a career high in goals playing with Mitch Marner. And then we're, I'm pretty sure most people know what Austin Matthews was done uh, playing with Mitch Marner. So I'm, I'm with you. It's uh, you know I, I thought last year was great. He hits the 30 goal mark, and and uh, added you know a dead different piece of Arsenal to his game, which was uh, you know shooting more. Uh, and we we probably haven't seen that as much this year for Marner either. But you're right; he's he's not a piece. He is, a, you know, he's a legitimate star that uh, makes people around him better.
1: And I I, I do want to say, like, I know that everybody wants. That's the first guy that everybody looks at to trade. And I've always said this: whenever you move a player like that, the player that you're looking for in return is that player. So if you trade Mitch Marner, the guy you're looking for is Mitch Marner a hundred times out of a hundred.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. To me, it, it's not even, it's not even worthy of discussion. Uh, you know, you don't move a guy that's, you know, I, I think easily a top five, top seven talent, in the national hockey league. Um, you don't do it. And then I, I don't care if you get three or four decent players in return. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those big play players that uh, you can't teach what, what he's been blessed with. So, uh, I'm with you. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's there's any discussion of moving them or trading them or anything else because he's uh, he's too rare a commodity to do that.
1: Jim Ralph, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs radio analyst, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. And Matt Murray, a couple of starts since coming back from injury, 30 saves last night in the loss and easy to make big proclamations and and get hot takey after two smarts two starts but he's been pretty solid and and dare I say has been pretty good the the glove hand is is seemingly still an issue up high but what have you made of of Matt Murray in in the couple of starts that he's made here
2: yeah I mean I'd like to see a bigger body of work obviously you know watching him in the playoffs and lead Pittsburgh to a cup and and seeing him the odd time he played against Toronto in the last few years but it's um, he certainly has looked, I, I think, more comfortable and more active and goal in goal in the last two games that he did his first start in season opener in Montreal. But it's uh, again they've got to you know you've, you've got to protect him I think a little better. I think uh Luke Fox um, tweeted out that the Leafs have the most giveaways in the NHL this year, with over 200. and They had 22 last night. So I think that uh, as, as happy as you might be with your goaltender, you you keep that pace up. And uh, your goaltender's not going to be able to bail you out on a nightly basis. So I, I think there's there, there's got to be a lot better structure in front of them uh, to allow them to succeed. Because eventually, you know, you're going to hit that that five six goal against uh, streak again if you keep gift wrapping opportunities. And, and last night was a pretty good example of that.
1: Well, they, the 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 Brad goal at the beginning. I mean, nobody talk about puck watching. I don't want to get too in depth on. On, on that kind of stuff, but not one person paid attention to Jesper Bratt on that play. And then the giveaway that you talk about in overtime that ended up, you know, causing the game winning goal. I mean, it, it's, it's very, it's very unlike Toronto that we've seen under Sheldon Keefe to have this many giveaways. Is this just, is this a focus issue? Is this, is this a talent discrepancy issue? Because I would make the argument that last year's team was more talented than this one is. And probably better. And yet, like you said, they still sit here with all the injuries that they've had and their goal scoring issues still second in in the Atlantic division and and playing They're They're getting by basically, but is there, is there a talent discrepancy issue here? And that's why you think they've been turning the pucks over? Is it just lack of focus?
2: No, I mean, I I think it's more, I I don't want to say lack of focus, but I I think it's just, they're not sharp. and And that goes to both ends of the rink. I mean, I, you know, very seldom can you say you're you're great offensively and did a lot of great things in the forecheck, but boy, we're awful in our own end. You know, it, it seems to uh you know, the style of play you play in a certain game I think follows you uh, to both ends of the ice and um you know, they, they got a bit of a break on Nelander's goal to tie it and at least get a point out of it. Uh, but there's you know, one one of the concerns I find is that how many times the Leafs will have full possession of the puck in their own end. And uh, 15 seconds later, there's a hornet's nest around their own goal. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was pointing that out to the guys last night in the book. I said, watch how many times, you know, they've, they've got to play that to get it out of their zone. And, and the next thing you know, it's a scoring chance. And, and that's, to me is what happens. It's been happening on a regular basis. So, yeah, even though the goals against has been respectable, I still think they can they can clean up a lot of the game. And, and that's where, to me, you really miss TJ Brody as well, because he's one of the best at that two stride look and, and get the puck out.
1: I, I'm i glad you mentioned Brody. And, and I know you talked earlier about missing two d- top defensemen. And, and the loss of Jake Muzzin on and off the ice is, is seemingly felt and I mean, it's, it's doesn't look great for him. I know they're going to reevaluate in February, but if they do end up making a deal somewhere, do they, is the need to go get a guy that is basically Jake Muzzin, like a a physical defenseman who, you know, who cares about the offense. If it, if it comes with it, great, but we need a guy who's going to play physical and and be able to shut down the other team's uh, top scoring line. Well, isn't
2: that, uh, isn't that always the worst of the trade deadline for any team? Yep. The one time. defenseman, they want depth scoring, they want you know, uh, but here here would be the better exercise is okay, make a list. You know, who is it you want? I know Jacob Checker's name would come up uh, on a regular basis, but uh, you know, there aren't there aren't a lot of guys that, that bring that. You know, and I I think from the Leafs standpoint obviously you need it. I you know, I thought Lebushkin was good, I thought Zach Bogosian before that, you know, gave them that, that kind of presence and um you know, and, and I would say that right now, that's the element that's missing. You know, that uh, uh, even though you know Jordy Ben had a couple of hits, took a penalty on a, on a cross check on a hit, but um, yeah, they, re- they really don't have that one guy that that's going to catch somebody coming through the middle of the ice. And um, but like I said, that's that is a rarity as well. You know, there aren't there aren't a lot of Victor Hedman's in the league that you could say uh, you want him to be a top four guy, but you want him to be physical as well.
1: Yeah, that, that those guys have seemingly gone the way of the dodo bird across the NHL. There's only a few left. Um, I did want to ask you, and I know it, there was some time between, but you've been around the team a long time. And Saturday night with the tribute to Boris Salming and seeing, you know, what that meant to not only him, but members of the Toronto Maple Leafs, what kind of an impact do you think that has on especially the star players like your Austin Matthews, your Mitch Marners, even even William Nylander who clearly um, has a lot of respect for what Boris Salming means to to him. Um does does that kind of a thing resonate and players go, you know what, I seeing what I saw the the ovation and the the love and admiration that the fans have for Boris Salming, is that something that goes a long way with players to realize something like that?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I don't know 100 percent anymore, but but you think it would. And then a human element of it was it was tough to be in the building and, and watch it and then feel that emotion. And um, if, you know maybe it's it's because as you get older, you know you start to go back in, in your favorite moments. And uh, for me, it was one was the return of Matt Sundean. Uh and I remember being so worried because he he left on, on terms the year before. People wanted the it was no trade and. Uh, and and I remember gen- uh, genuinely concerned that um, that he wasn't going to be welcomed back the way he should. And and then when he was, and to see who very seldom showed emotion, uh, I remember him doubled over. And there's a great story with, with Matt Stajan. If you go back, you can find it, I think, on YouTube on Matt's return. And Matt Stajan was taking the draw on the leaf end and stayed out of the face-off to let the ovation continue and Matt started screaming at him to get in the face-off circle because <laughs> Matt just mm-hmm. wanted to get it over with. And uh, you'll see after the face-off, he cross-checks uh, Matt staging over the back of the head of <laughs> the face-off. But to me, that was an emotional moment. Curtis Joseph went into a game, uh, his second still with the Leafs against Washington with two minutes left. and uh, In a tie game, Martin Gerber got thrown out, and, and Cujo stood on his head in overtime and then stopped Ovechkin again in the 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 shootout to get the win, those were the moments that I loved, and and bringing in the Borya Soling element, where, you know, obviously, it, you know, the the world has seen what what uh, this horrible disease has done to him, and uh, you know, an opportunity to show your your love and respect for a guy that's, uh, that hasn't even lived in Canada the last few years, but, but will, you know, forever remain a, a, a such a great impressive figure uh, with the organization. So you would hope that that would um uh, you know resonate to players it goes beyond you know the game itself the uh, the adoration you have for for a guy that was nothing but first class and you know even you know my two training camps you know with the least warrior was there and now this was the transition out Daryl Sittler had moved on and Lanny Mcdonald and I remember thinking even at training camps that he doesn't really belong here, you know it's like it's like you've got the you know the wizard with with all these students around them and um but he was just the he is the, just the most humble, um, you know, likable, well-respected person that you see.
1: Yeah, and and I, I I didn't I I didn't have the pleasure of watching him play, and I remember you know, I, and I told this I told this to Jeff last week. Like I remember hearing all the stuff from my dad, and he's like, you know, you have no idea how great he was, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. You're just a biased Lee fan, of course he was great. And then when you you hear the stories and you watch video of him and the way he played. And, and not only that, but what he had to endure as a player coming to North America. I mean, that takes a lot. And and that took a lot of, of you know, self-awareness and just being able to fight through that. I mean, that's more than a lot of people will go through in their lifetime. And he had to do it in such a, such a short span.
2: Yeah. And then, I mean, when he comes in too, you yeah, know, that was a transition from the big bad Bruins to the broad street boys. So it wasn't as if uh, you know it was just hey go out and skate have fun and and try to produce it was uh, it was a tough time for everybody to play then and especially when you know you're under a microscope saying oh yeah the Europeans aren't as tough as Canadians and and watch what's going to happen and you know for him to have the success that he had in the league and then with the Toronto Maple Leafs um, you know it, it went far beyond his talent there was there's so much courage and, and resiliency involved
1: in that yeah there really was uh, Jimmy. As always I appreciate your time my friend. Thank you very much for for jumping on with me here and uh, and we'll chat soon.
2: All right Matty, get better guess.
1: Yeah. It'll, it'll help your career. I'll try next time. There he goes Jim Ralph, Maple Leafs radio analyst. And you know the the Leafs scoring or lack thereof is it's something that I think has been underreported. 2.89 goals per game. This is a team that was was above that last year and the lack of secondary scoring behind John Tavares and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander, the big four, outside of that, Michael Bunting has has been there and, and he's produced a bit, but your bottom six has produced basically nothing. Like Alex Kerfoot has one goal. Cali Yarncroke was brought in here, I know, to be more of a defensive player and, and really help out the bottom six and play in a little bit of a shutdown role and provide at least a little bit of offense. And even that has been a stretch. If it weren't, I, I, I can't imagine where this team would be if they didn't have at least adequate goaltending. Because like Jimmy said, they're 9-5-4, they're and four. they're second in the Atlantic, and it's like the world is falling because, well, Twitter is, but the world is not falling despite the fact that the Leafs can't even score three goals per game. And like it was mentioned, they've only scored more than three goals four times. And one of those was an empty netter against Winnipeg. The other three, twice against Pittsburgh, who has trouble keeping the puck out of their net right now. And the Philadelphia Flyers, who also have trouble keeping the puck out of their net. They're just not a very good team. Be curious to see what happens with this Leaf group going forward. As the schedule starts to get a little bit tougher, we'll see where that lack of goal scoring gets them. All right. We're almost done the first hour, so when we get when we get into the second hour, Liam McHugh is going to join us, host of NHL on TNT. We're going to talk about the Devil's Resurgence. Man, that Nico Heischer goal is really nice. I know I sound like Jeff when I talk about Nico Heischer and technical operator Lance Kennedy shaking his head behind the glass, but man, that was a great shot. He's really good. He's really good. Uh, the Islanders turn around this year after an awful year last year. I know they lost last night, but... They turned it around, and that Metropolitan Division is a lot more interesting than I think a lot of people thought. And by the way, Matthew Barzell got another assist last night and didn't score. We're also going to talk about the Caps and the Penguins, that storied rivalry, Sid and Ovi, and, and time doesn't seem to be catching up to those guys. We're going to talk as well to Dan Riccio, host of Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. The Canucks Kings tonight. You can watch that one on Sportsnet Pacific or Sportsnet now. What does the fan base think of what's going on? Are they are they ready to just say, "Hey, as long as that Trudemko just gets back to his game, we'll be fine"? Not quite sure that that's the case. And what does Bo Horvat's next contract looks like? I don't think it comes in the form of an offer from the Vancouver Canucks. How about that? Liam McHugh's next.
0: Everything Raptors, before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show, Friday, November the 18th. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick, who will be back on Monday. He is on assignment. Still working on that still working on my assignment my assignment was hey you're hosting the Jeff Merrick show today on the Sportsnet radio network watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet now um pleased to be joined on the line by Liam McHugh from the NHL on TNT one of the most fun panels going I I love watching you guys it's I mean it can't be easy to try and wrangle in guys like biz all the time is it
3: uh definitely not easy uh, always entertaining, that's for sure. Um, and as I tell people, I think the great thing about Biz is that like, you can ask like the most straightforward question. The answer is got to be this or that, unless Biz is giving the answer. And then it just goes somewhere completely just bonkers. Uh, as he would say, he takes it to Banana Land. And then he just goes on and on. And then to turn and look at Rick Tockett, either about to laugh at him, or look like he's going to jump over the desk, drop the gloves, and just hammer down on him. Uh, Which, for me, by the way, either response is fine. Uh, But it's, it's a blast, man.
1: Well, and, and talk, it's not a guy that I don't think anybody wants to tangle with either. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. Like people, I think forget how tough Rick was. I know biz is tough, but people forget how tough Rick was. Um, I did, I did want to get your take here on, on the devils and and another win last night. It's 11 in a row. They've become one of the most fun teams to watch in the NHL. And, you know, I always, I always tell people this story. Like when I watch Jack Hughes play and, and see how good he is, I, I always hearken back to Um, draft lottery night I was down at the building the CBC building here in Toronto where they were doing it and I remember seeing Jack Hughes and looking at him and saying there is no way that that kid is going to play and be effective in the NHL because he was so small (laughs) and he was so slight and it just speaks to his ability and how great he is because he does things that a lot of people can't especially at that size.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. We did something back at NBC. We did something uh, called Hockey Day in America, and I, I know uh, you guys do something similar up north, obviously. And, and and Jack Hughes was there. We had the whole USA uh, national developmental team on this ice right behind us, gank around. And we had Ronick back then, and they're like, all right, Ronick's going to interview Jack Hughes, and he goes down there, and like I'd seen Jack Hughes, but then like you put him on camera and you put him next to like a grown man, and I'm like, was like well, Jack Hughes looks like he's 11. Like, is that him? He looks so young and he's so thin. Uh, he looks and Zegers in many ways the same thing. They look like just a couple guys who'd be out like skateboarding or surfing, like in California. Uh, not exactly your prototypical number one overall pick in the NHL, but it is the new NHL and it's the speed and skill NHL and. I'm pumped to watch this version of Jack Hughes, to watch this electric up-and-down version. And I just want him to stay healthy because we saw it briefly last year at times. Uh, I love the fact that he, Zegers, and that generation are bringing this in and that you can be a guy built that way and still be seen as a franchise cornerstone. But, man, that team is fun. They are fast. The fan base for Jersey, surprisingly polite, apologizing (laughs) in full chant mode to Lindy Ruff. Never have I ever seen that before or expected it. I mean, I'm from New York. I did not expect that from New Jersey. Not in a million years. You get apologies in Jersey begrudgingly. That's usually the only form of apology in New Jersey, uh, or like insincerely. This felt very sincere. They're they're an electric team. They're fun. I think they're going to be there right right at the end. I, I honestly, I, I, it would be hard to say at this point that they won't make the playoffs. Uh, and I also think the Nico Heashear development has been uh, the key to this team because that's another guy who I think we looked at, especially because it's the Kale McCarr draft, and Heiskanen was taken after him, and Elias Peterson was taken after him, that you're like, uh, it felt like a swing and a miss, but now you're seeing he's a leader, he can play both ways, and now he's putting up points. So, I don't know, man. It's cool to have a Devils team that's not just good, but good and fun because they've been good before. Not that
1: fun. Yeah, no, they've definitely been not fun to watch in the past. And I'm glad that you brought up the Heischer development curve because it's one thing. And I mean, it's the most unsurprising thing to me that an 18 year old comes into the NHL and doesn't succeed right away. I mean, I, I don't, I know that we live in a world that we're in the microwave society where, you know, 15 seconds and hey, you got to produce something. And now, I, it just and we see that in prospects we see it across all sports if you don't produce right away you get labeled as a bust well unfortunately everybody has a different career trajectory and to say that Nico he was a bust after two or three years is probably foolhardy because listen these scouts know what they're looking at I mean yeah do they get some wrong sure but when guys get drafted in the first round and in a lot of cases especially now with all the the knowledge that we have they get it right. And it's just a shame that people were off the Nico Heeshier train and couldn't see past, hey, he's 18 years old or 19 or 20, even 20 years old. I mean, there's a development curve here. And now the dev- the devils are reaping the rewards of just staying with it and keeping on this guy. And now he's one of the best two-way centers in the game. I
3: think it's one of those things where uh, it's, fans are rarely self-aware and a lot of us in the media aren't very self-aware either. Uh Because if we were, we would go back and look at our own lives and ask ourselves where we were when we were 18 and then where we were when we were 23. Um, And I look back and I was like, wow, when I was 18, I was an idiot who knew nothing. Now, for me, when I was 23, I was still more or less an idiot who knew nothing. And it took me like several more years after that. I think that's the case for most of us. I mean, you throw someone into a pressurized situation when they're a teenager and they're learning a league uh, and they have all the expectations of a number one pick, and it's funny how it changes, right? Because if you get selected second, different story. It's a very different story. You don't just have that label of top overall selection. Uh, this development, it takes time. And I think you get spoiled also because Big David comes in the league and Austin Matthews comes in the league and scores a bunch of goals right away. And, and McDavid lights up the league. It just doesn't happen that way. But it doesn't mean you're not going to develop into a star player. And I, I, you, the Devils do deserve a lot of credit for that because they also had a fan base that – but well, let's face it, I mean, you're getting anxious and you're getting impatient because uh, you have an Islanders team that, that goes to what is essentially the NHL's Final Four a couple of years in a row within a game of the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, you have a Rangers team that definitely feels like, you know, coming into this year was on the rise and on the cusp. And this Devils team that had made the playoffs, what, one time since that run to the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, you know, I think they deserve credit for that. And it takes some time. Let's also, you know, it's amazing too. Like, I looked it up and I'm like, oh wait, 23. Like, it feels like he's 30 because we've been talking about this forever. He's young and they deserve that. But I, I really do think it's it's one of those situations where you get spoiled by three or four guys that come in every generation or so that can make that jump. Most people cannot. It takes time.
1: Liam McHugh from the NHL on TNT is my guest here on the Jeff Merrick Show and. I did want, you know, like you mentioned, you're a New Yorker. I wanted to get your take on the Islanders because last year was an unmitigated disaster with, you know, playing a bunch of games on the road. It wasn't your prototypical road trip because they were still able to go home for stretches. They just couldn't play in their building. But once the building was ready, it's like, oh, OK, the Islanders are going to figure it out. And they did for a period of time, but it ended up being just a disaster of a season. They fire Barry Trot Well, Barry Trotts left. I don't know how much of it was fired and I'm just taking a break. They bring in Lane Lambert and now it's, it's been a turnaround. They, I still think they lack that star power outside of Matthew Barzell who had another assist last night and didn't score, which is amazing, but the pieces are working. The pieces are working and they've got that Noah Dobson guy who just happens to be pretty good on the back end producing at a pretty high level for a defenseman offensively. But where are you at with the Islanders? They've got the star goaltender. I love Elias Sorokin, and and Simeon Varlamov is, is pretty good as a number two. I just wonder about the lack of star power and and how this team proceeds going forward. Guys like Anders Lee and Brock Nelson can produce. I just don't know if after that group, if there's enough there.
3: No, I agree with that. and And I think if you are a championship-level team... Uh, your Andersley and your Brock Nelsons are your—it's not your secondary depth scoring, but they're not your star star players. Like you would like someone just above them, and if those guys are right behind that star player, now you've got something. And. It felt like, well, this is the summer. you got to go out and do something. And if you could bring in one of those marquee guys, and certainly someone who could put the puck in the back of the net and was dangerous offensively, especially because you highlighted what Matt Barzell does. It's so funny. It's almost like Matt Barzell in many ways is trolling all of us. (laughs) He's like, oh, we want to score more. And he always has the puck on his stick, and he just passes it. He's like, oh, do I? Well, watch this. And 19 assists and two goals later. uh, He's like, do you like this? Because I could do this all season long. Uh, But they feel like a piece away. And and that's not a terrible place to be, except for the fact that the piece is a big piece. It is a number one top-level elite scoring player, and they need that. And I don't know. I mean, if you can make a big move at the deadline, and there are going to be some possibilities, maybe you can do that. Obviously, Patrick Kane's name has been floated out there a number of times to come to New York. I don't know if the Islanders interest him or not. Uh, You know, you'd have to work something out contractually, probably bring in a third team, definitely bring in a third team. Uh, to make that work, but he would seem to be the you know a perfect piece. But I don't know. I I will say this: Barry Trotz. I like you mentioned I'm from New York. I live on Long Island. I live right by the Nassau Coliseum. I used to run into Trots actually every now and then, uh, and I remember running into him right before last season. And obviously, we had a couple of seasons because of COVID that were different and went into the summer. And Trotz is a great guy, so easy to talk to, and I could tell he was tired. And I was like, "Oh, you looking forward to the season?" And he was like. Oh, it feels like we just finished. And I think he knew, A, his guys are tired. They didn't really have a summer. And, B, they're starting that crazy season on the road. Nothing went right for this team. Then they got COVID. They got COVID again. Uh, You know, it was an absolute mess. And now they've got something rolling here. They can always play their system. And I agree with you. I think the big thing to the Islanders, I think they have the best goalie tandem in the league. I I really believe that. Now, a lot of that is the system they play that sort of, allows your goalie to do their thing but i really believe in that goalie tandem and that's why i i do i think the islanders are a playoff team but i think they're a piece away from being a team that makes a deep run into that playoffs
1: i did want to you know what let's let's kind of focus in on barry trotz here a little bit he's done a lot of interviews lately and usually that means hey i want to get my name out there but i'm not convinced that that's what barry trotz's mo is here i think barry trotz is doing interviews because he's comfortable doing interviews now but Ultimately, what do you think his future is? Do you think it's as an NHL head coach, which, listen, the track record speaks speaks for itself with the success he's had at the NHL level, or do you think, you know, talking about how tired he was after, you know, the COVID season and coaching, do you think he tries to, to nail down a front office job and, and maybe whether it be a GM or or something along those lines because, like he said, he's just tired.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think you know he's a guy who had a lot going on with his family as well, and uh, I, I think it all weighs on him. And these are exhausting jobs for these head coaches, and more so when you make deep playoff runs like he has. Uh, I, I still see him coaching just because I still think he's great at it, and I think he comes in. And I, I but I don't think, and I think that's an interesting uh, dynamic here: is if you're hiring him, how long are you hiring him for? Because I don't know that you you're getting a coach. For the long term, which also to me means he's probably only taking a job where he can win. And I mean, really win, not just win and make the playoffs. He, he wants to feel like, you know, I'm among a handful of teams that has a legitimate shot at the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, he floated that original six, but he didn't really float it. He was asked about, you sort of asked what would intrigue him. He was, gave an honest answer. Uh, and then, you know, people like me like to stir the pot and jump all over it and make it interesting. Uh, But it obviously came at a time when the Leafs were struggling. And you're like, wow, uh, that would be really interesting if he wound up coaching a team like that that had all that talent that needed a more structured defense. I still think there's some coaching left in him. I think he'd be a great front office guy as well. Uh, The cool thing about Trotz's situation right now is kind of like it's what everybody kind of wants in life, which is you're looking for a job, but you're the one doing the interviewing. You know, people call him and he interviews them. Uh, I really believe that. You know, he's talked to teams and at the end, they're not like, okay, thanks for your time. We'll get back to you. It felt like Barry Tross was like, thank you for your time. I'll let you know. And I think that's where he is. But, you know, it's got to be the right situation. But in the end, yeah, I mean, I think he's only a few years away probably from being a guy who's in the front office
1: and doing some different stuff. I yearn for the days where I do the interviewing and not the other way around in a job. How great is that? (laughs) That is, like, imagine having that kind of power getting up every morning. I definitely don't. But uh, one day, one day, I hope. Merrick's I hope to. Right now? is that what is? It, he's out on assignment. I think that, that for Merrick, translate. He's at that level. Now. He, yeah, he, Jeff, Jeff decides when he is on assignment. <laughs> I don't get to decide when I'm on assignment. Actually, my wife decides when I'm on assignment. Um, I did want to. Oh wanna, no doubt. <laughs> uh, Liam McHugh from the NHL on TNT joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. I wanted to ask you about the Kuznetsov penalty shot because he's done this more than once. This slow pedantic move towards the net and it takes forever and blah 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 and he scores it's all within the rules and my thinking is if that's what it takes to score a goal in a shootout you're trying to get two points then so be it but where do you stand on this whole slow penalty shot thing because I know it irks a lot of people and a lot of people get pissed off about it
3: I love it, and I love that it bothers people. And I think he did an even better job than he's ever done last night because he took, like, four or five really hard strides before he (laughs) hit center ice with the puck, and then he was like, oh, you thought I was going to do that? No. And then it was, you know, he's a little sailboat, and it's just a gentle breeze blowing him down toward the goalie. And here's the deal. If you can do it, do it. There's only a few guys who do attempt it, he does it so well, and it bothers so many goalies. It was great because it was uh, you know, against the Blues, and I was listening to the broadcast, and Darren Pang does such a tremendous job. Uh, he was calling it, and he didn't hate on the play, but at, he goes, as a goalie, he's like, I hated this. He's like, because even though it should be easier, it's just all wrong in your mind. Like It's so confusing to you as a goalie. Uh, I love it. I think the NFL needs more stuff like this. I don't need the same old all the time. Let's be different. Let's try to do different things. Let's be creative. And here's the best part. If people hate, like it's effective and within the rules and he scores. It's to me, it's the people who hate on, you know, Zegris with the lacrosse move. I mean, Zegris did a lacrosse move on our air and scored. And of course it got called back, Uh, you know, which is just the most egregious abuse of the offside challenge ever. But it's, Effective, he does it within, his, like he does it in full speed, full in stride, not showing off. It's just the right move to make in that situation to score. So I love it. I think yeah, the more you can do it, the more you can push the boundaries of the game. Go for it. So now I'm all about it, and I'm all about the fact that it bothers people
1: well I I'm also a fan that it bothers people because there are so many things in this world that should bother you that don't and yet Evgeny Kuznetsov doing that and Trevor Zegers <laughs> yes, do, exactly. scoring the goals that he does bothers you I mean you need to have a real look at uh, internally at your own uh life but you know I it's the same people that complain about the Zegers and Kuznetsov goals that are complaining that there's not enough goals scored in the game generally speaking exactly they want it perfect. Oh, yeah.
3: So, did... Go to the dirty areas because we love all the replays of pucks that, like, accidentally go off knees and go into the goal. Like, let's, you know, score some flair and some creativity. Uh, It's what gets eyeballs uh, to the game. And what honestly, how many kids are watching the game right now being like, oh, man, I, I hope I'm one of those guys who lumbers into the goal and the puck accidentally, you know, bounces off my elbow and goes in. No, you watch those guys and say, I want to grow up and be like that. I want to have hands like that. And I want to put on a show.
1: A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, I mean, these are the players that are going to have an impact on the next generation. And I'm very curious to see what the next generation looks like and, and the types of plays that they're making, because we see the Zegrases, we see McDavid's, we see guys that put on a show. I can't wait to see what the next show looks like. Um, speaking of show, and this is a terrible segue, but we're going to go with it. Anyway, the Vegas golden Knights are quite the show. Um, and they went again last night. Alex Petrangelo has three points. They've got this thing going so well right now. And and I mentioned this to Jeff. I don't know if it was la- this. I think it was this week. And my point was when we talked about Vegas last year, the one thing that we kept coming back to was they're just not healthy. They're a really good team. They're just not healthy. End up costing Pete DeBoer his job. Worked out fine. He ends up in Dallas. And they bring in Bruce Cassidy, who's been a great fit. They, the Vegas Golden Knights are scary good. And the best part about them is, despite having all these, you know, they're they're up against the cap and they're going to have cap issues and all the stuff that goes along with it, dare I say that if they are in top spot in the Pacific Division, which I think they're going to end up, that they're going to go out and try and acquire another big piece. That's just the way they do business.
3: Oh, that I think that's the fun part about Vegas is they have, you know, really – adopted the personality of the city that they play in, which is like we are going for it. Ships in the middle, rolling the dice, all the cliches you want, but they fit this team that, and they fit the the style that they manage their club with, which is like we are here to win, we're here to make splashes and sometimes it works and sometimes we have injuries and we're up against the cap and it's kind of a mess, uh, but it's sort of fun, which again, kind of a mess, but sort of fun. Very Vegas. You know, There's a lot of regret involved in that city as well. So it's I don't know. To me, it's it's, it's complete entertainment, and the product is like that on the ice right now. And whether you are watching as a fan or whether you are in Buffalo and hate watching it, you do want to see Jack Eichel in the playoffs. You want to see what he can do. Because, again, you know, that draft, when he and McDavid came in, you know, the thought was, well, he went second, McDavid went first. He would have been the first overall pick in, like, the 10 drafts leading up to that. He was that good, everyone said. You need to see him in a big moment, in a big spot. Uh, I think the question that a lot of us had was goaltending, and rightfully so, but it's, it's been good enough. Uh, the coaching, I don't think we had a question about it. It was just like, hey, you had a, a good coach, it uh, didn't work out, and now you brought in another very good coach, and now it's working. Uh, I like this Vegas team. I think they now are a standout team in that division where I wasn't sure which team was really going to take a big step. I think a lot of us were hoping Edmonton would, but Edmonton looks very much like it's got the same problems that Edmonton has had for years, which is great stars and then not a lot of depth and not a lot of structure and not a lot of goaltending. I love the Vegas team, and I I think it's it's very cool also uh, for Cassidy that while he has to sit there and see his old team, Boston, absolutely thrive, he can say, I'm making my own way with my team right now, and it would be pretty cool at some point. Who knows? forecasted way in the future but if you get vegas first boston possibly in a stanley cup final uh make for a lot of drama
1: oh man that'll be a lot of fun oh just the thought of that just gets everything tingling a little bit
3: and i'm not just saying that because we have the stanley cup final and i would like to spend it partially in vegas and partially of in course boston.
1: um you know no nothing to do with that at all. i i would not fault you for wanting that i've been to vegas once and i want to live there um my family would have yeah. something to say about was, that, but...
3: Edmonton was Edmonton was lovely for the Western Conference <laughs> last year. I'm not saying
1: it wasn't. Nice place to visit. But, but it's not Vegas. Yeah. It's not Vegas. I get it. I get Light, it. Yeah. It's yeah. close. No. I'm, I'm glad you brought up <laughs> Edmonton. And just one quick one before we let you go, and you've been very generous with your time, and I appreciate that. Um, you guys had the, the Kings-Oilers game the other night, and it was the, the Edler hit on McDavid and when you watch it in real time you can see McDavid is trying to get out of the way and it probably ends up causing him more harm than it does good if he just takes the check straight on then you know it's a big hit and and nothing comes of it slow-mo obviously it looks worse and I get that you want to protect your stars but it felt like that one was a little bit more on McDavid and people got all up in arms about it because Edler's done this before but I just I didn't see it I mean He's trying to make a play and McDavid tries to jump out of the way and he probably does worse for himself than good.
3: That was the take from our guys on the panel uh, when we were watching that game, uh, you know, right away, it was a big hit and there was a response. And I think a, they liked the fact that there was a response from Edmonton. It wasn't like over the top, but it, it felt uh, appropriate in that situation. Then they watched it back and they said, "Uh, you know, like I hate to say that a guy put himself in a situation, but um, yeah, I mean, it looked like he sort of went to avoid it." And, you know, everyone's history should factor in, in to some extent, especially if you have a very specific history uh, with suspensions. But this didn't feel quite as bad. Uh, I, I, you know, and I was surprised. Guys in the studio were like pretty calm about it. Move on. I think you know the the problem that they ultimately had in the end was that. Uh, It obviously irked McDavid enough that later on, he cross checks Adler when their own power play isn't going that well, and it takes them out of a power play, Uh, and, you know, I think years ago, you would have said, all right, the right thing to do, but right now, with that guy, with the high-end talent he has, and what that power play can do, snapping it around, buzzing around the ice, you never want to do that. He can't come off the ice in that situation. But, no, I, I, honestly, I, I, I think it got blown up a little bit more than I expected it to. But that's what happens when people, they, they dive into history, and I get it. We've been doing this for years, and we go through all the hit history. Uh, but it's also, it's, it's a league, as we've seen in the past, that so much of this is based on what was the end result of the hit. Did someone have to leave the ice? Did someone have to leave the game? Are they going to miss time? Um, and whether or not people say those things ultimately factor in, My belief is that they do factor in. Uh, I, I firmly believe that. And because he stayed on the ice and kept playing, things kind of got the penalty and they moved on. But to me, the big thing I look back on is McDavid later on. I know he's frustrated, but if you're on the power play, McDavid cannot take a penalty like that. He
1: has to be on the ice. Yeah. I 100% agree with that take. Uh, Liam, you've been so generous with your time and I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for, for taking a few minutes for me here and uh, we'll chat again soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, man. There he goes, Liam McHugh from NHL on TNT and and I, I will echo the sentiment that Liam put out there about McDavid and being blown out of proportion. Dare I say that if that happened with any other player other than Connor McDavid, we're not having this discussion today. It was Connor McDavid's fault. I love Connor McDavid. I love watching him play. I never want to see him get hurt. I want to see him play a thousand straight games like Phil Kessel did. And congratulations, Phil Kessel. But that was all on Connor McDavid. He's trying to get out of the way of the hit. You're going to open yourself up for bad things when you do that. That's the nature of the game. Unfortunately for him, he was okay. But as Liam said, the frustrations really showed later on. And... You know, the Oilers tried to answer the bell, and that's fine. And and Elliot and Jeff made the, the comment yesterday about how different things are without Evander Kane. For those that do not believe that having toughness on your team makes a difference, I give you Exhibit A. Players will try and take liberties on your stars if you don't have somebody that can go in and maybe punch somebody in the face every once in a while. I hate to break it to you, but that's the way that the game is played and will continue to be played as long as we are alive. Hopefully, longer than Twitter is, which hopefully isn't tomorrow. Dan Riccio is going to join me next, host of Canuck Central, as we look at the Vancouver Canucks ahead of their game against the LA Kings tonight. You can watch that on Sportsnet Pacific or on Sportsnet Now. And where are we at with the Vancouver Canucks and where's the fan base specifically at? Do they think that it's just, hey, Thatcher Demko just needs to get his game in order and the Canucks will be just fine. Or do they believe that this team should be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes? By the way, 10 seconds into the game last night, Connor Bedard? Are you kidding me? I would I I would tank for him. I wouldn't even think twice about it. Have that guy locked into your roster for the next 12 years? Yeah, good luck. Dan Reggio's next. The Jeff Merrick Show continues. I'm Matt Marquez. You're watching on Sportsnet 360, on Sportsnet Now, and listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: One segment to go here on the Jeff Merrick Show as we wrap up the week. Jeff will be back on Monday. I'm Matt Marchese. That guy behind the glass, usually. Not today. Happy to be joined on the line here by Dan Riccio, former Sportsnet 590, the fan employee, now plying his trade as the host of Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650. Mr. Riccio, how are you today? Fantastic, Maddie. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Before we get into Canucks talk, I just, I want to just gauge your excitement about next Wednesday and Canada making their first world cup appearance in seemingly forever. Um, how excited are you for this moment? I mean,
0: is it, is it possible to be more excited? Probably not. I mean, is it, we've waited forever for this. We haven't seen, well, I haven't seen a, a Canada team play in a men's world cup in my entire lifetime, 36 years in the making. and, You know what? Belgium just lost today to Egypt, who's not even in the world cup. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. Like I think Canada's got a chance to pull a bit of a result here against, against Belgium who isn't in the best of spots. Maybe I'm getting a little too excited, but first goal is to just score a goal and then we can
1: all party wherever we are watching from. I would agree with that sentiment. Um, There's not a lot of partying going on in Vancouver. I mean, not for the Canucks anyway. Um, And (laughs) I I'm looking at this team and I, I do believe that they're underperforming even with that, that leaky defensive group that they have, but how much of the, the fan base's opinion on this team is just based on, Hey, if Thatcher Demko just turns his game around and yeah, you know, you should never apologize for having a good goalie. He hasn't been great this season. He's he struggled, but how much of it they look at and go, if Demko can get right, this team is, is still a pretty good team and probably could be in the playoff conversation.
0: Well, I think so much of it does come down to Demko. Um, you know, we saw him last year bail this team out time and time again and you know, they've gotten pretty good results from Spencer Martin, their backup who's now stealing a bunch of starts away from Thatcher Demco given his early season struggles. But you know, the the problem with that is, Maddie, like you couldn't have possibly expected the Canucks to maintain having the best five on five save percentage in the league. Like they did last year after Bruce Boudreau took over, you know, that's just an unsustainable number. I think they were the only team getting uh, a five on five save percentage better than 93. So <sighs> this is what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin sort of touched on at the end of last season. We can't really expect a uh, great goaltending to always have to bail us out. And right now you have Thatcher Demko who had an off-season surgery, clearly isn't comfortable, clearly has lost a little bit of confidence, not playing at his best, and the whole season is crumbling to a halt here in the first month, and they're going to be either playing catch-up or packing it in and saying, you know what, this is a, now a reset year for us and we're looking ahead to next season. So th- this is sort of what the front office was always talking about. We can't just rely on a great goaltender to get us results.
1: No and there's and let's face it there's not a lot of teams in this league right now that can actually do that. I mean the the amount yep. of elite goalies in the league it's not a high number anymore and it's it's become a position that has been you know there's a, a kind of a revolving door. More so with the guys that are are backups or one Bs but it happens all over the place. As it pertains to Demko, how much of, of his, maybe let's call it lack of success this year is the defensive group in front of him? Because we can talk all we want about, you know, Demko's not making the saves and their structure is not very good. But at the end of the day, this defensive unit is just, it's not good enough. And I know Jim Rutherford wants to talk about the structure, but bringing in Ethan bear isn't enough to, to make this group that much better.
0: No, and it is really all over the ice. You know, as much as the decor has been not great, um, and, you know, you can only expect so much out of Ethan Bear to, to help you out there, uh, I think this their defensive issues uh, a lot of times start in the offensive end. They give up so many transition and rush chances. This is a team, you know, with a lot of forwards that – like to cheat a little bit for offense and even some of the ones that have great numbers this year are are sort of doing that you know um, you, you can't you can't cheat the game too often without getting burnt and last year you know they would do this and they'd get bailed out by their goalie it's something that plagued them before Travis green got the ax early on last season in December of last year. And it's sort of a a, a personality trait of the core of this roster. And it starts with the forward group. Yeah. The defenders aren't good enough. They don't move the puck out of their own, out of their own end well enough, but I think they can defend better as a five man unit. And they would have to, to overcome some of their talent deficiencies on the back end, what I will say uh, about the defense so far this year, one major difference from last year uh, to this one, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson played at a, at a decent level last year and gave them, even though it wasn't a ton of points and sir, he didn't live up to his $7 million contract. He probably played like a five, five and a half million dollar player. The Canucks aren't getting that out of Oliver Ekman Larson this year. And it has raised a lot of alarm bells for me as to how you go about fixing that defense when you have that anchor on the back end for another four years after this one at about seven and a quarter million. Not to mention Tyler Myers, who has never really been able to live up to his six million dollar a year price tag. So that's that's kind of the problem with this team, Matt. They've got you know, the defensemen they have are paid very well. They have one of the most expensive defense cores in the entire NHL, and yet it is not good. It is one of the worst in the league. So if you're going to change things, you have to start by at least offloading some of the money that is on the back end so that you can shuffle the deck a little bit.
1: Do you think Jim Rutherford is willing to unload picks to make that happen or young pieces to to free up cap space? Because, they're kind of in that weird murky middle, right? They don't, they're not they are I still think they're better than what they're playing right now. And I think they're better than what the record shows, but they're in that, that murky middle of maybe we're not good enough, but we're also, we also don't have a huge incredible prospect pool that we can just give someone away or a pick to give someone away just to clear up cap space. Like, what do you think the appetite is for something like that?
0: I think there's zero appetite, you know, um, even parting with the fifth round pick for, for Ethan bear was probably something they didn't necessarily want to do. You know, they traded for Travis Dermott at the deadline last year from, from the Maple Leafs. And it was, Hey, we're moving out Travis Hamanick for a third round pick. We're going to use that third round pick to go out and get Travis Dermott. So they're trying not to expend too many draft picks, even though, I believe they're minus one since taking over uh, from from Jim Benning last year. You know, they they spent the second-round pick to, to move off of Jason Dickinson's contract just before the season started and what was, uh, as Jim Rutherford told us on Canuck Central, uh, entirely a salary cap move. So, you know, th- it's not something they want to do. It's certainly something that they are even less likely to do now that they've started the season the way that they have. Any trade discussion Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin are having right now is about getting younger players, getting the cap flexibility that they so wanted over the course of the summer but really could not find any deals for that made sense for them. At least that's the way they've sort of sent out the message on that front. This is about getting younger and opening up some cap flexibility so that they can in the next two to three year window really start to push forward around Pedersen and Hughes. I think that is ultimately the goal. How they go about doing that is, I mean, it's a mystery because they don't have prospects. They don't have a ton of picks. They haven't made a first round pick outside of Like they, they didn't make a first round pick the previous two years before this one, when they selected Jonathan, like at 15th overall, it, it, it's a, team that's right up against the cap with very few young assets and they aren't winning hockey games so they've got to make some really tough decisions about where they're headed and the way this season has started i think has pushed them further into we're gonna have to do a hard reset here and try to come back a year from now or even two
1: dan Riccio is my guest here matt marchese on the jeff merrick show and if they do end up deciding to fire bruce boudreau which i know is not ideal for this ownership group they don't want to pay three coaches like I get that um I know people want to jump on hey Barry Trotz would be a great fit I think Barry Trotz would be a great fit on a lot of teams but that's going to cost a lot of money and I don't see that happening but if you are looking at a style of coach for Jim Rutherford what is that style like what does the next coach after Bruce Boudreau unless he turns this thing around what does that coach look like
0: I think it's somebody that, uh, well, it, you know, it almost feels like we disrespect Bruce a little bit when we, we're talking about the next coach of the Vancouver Canucks, but that's sort of the narrative that, that they've put out there themselves with their their public criticisms of, of the head coach that they currently have. Um, you know, I think they do want somebody that's a little, a little more, um, how to say this, buttoned up, you know, like Bruce can be – has been a really good coach. The record speaks for itself, what he's done in regular seasons. Um, He's affable, and we love how honest he can be. But I do uh, think they want somebody who's got a lot more structure to their game, wants to play a little bit more of a defensive style, uh, not be as aggressive on the forecheck. Those are the sorts of things that I think they are looking for. And uh, I I don't know if – you know, a hard ass is necessarily the way to, to, to frame it, but I, I do think they want uh some more seriousness brought throughout the organization, not just from behind the bench but across the organization that they, they haven't felt like they've gotten that from the players at times and and other parts of the organization. So that's what I think they are looking for when uh when they look for the new head coach. And I, I do believe one of the reasons, you know, they are uh, cautious about moving on from Bruce is, you know, they don't know if they necessarily have that guy yet and who that person would be. If, if they do move on from Bruce, eventually, uh, I, I would be surprised if they just dive in quickly on, on somebody new, or if, uh, or if they were to go to an interim to try and play out this year, as they go through a search of, the, of finding the guy that they actually want.
1: How much, how much do you, how much look do you think Jeremy calls gets? I think it's possible.
0: Um, If they do decide to go interim, I I wonder if Colleton is more likely the choice than assistant coach Mike Yo, who we know has uh, a ton of NHL head coaching experience. One thing I do know, Maddie, like when, when, if they do make a change, it's not about like last year when they brought in Boudreaux, it was, we need a bounce back. We want to try and make the most of this season. Um, I think that's why Francesco Aquilini made the decision before he had Jim Rutherford in place. But if they're doing it this time around, it's not necessarily about finding a way to get an artificial new head coach bump. It's about, this is the guy we want. This is the guy that we think is going to develop the program here in Vancouver that, that we want and we believe can grow success as part of our vision. That's ultimately the goal. If the Canucks are to, to make a head coaching change.
1: Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that sentiment. It's gotta be the, it's gotta be their guy. And, and, I, I Well know, that's sort
0: of the problem with Bruce is they made yeah. it pretty pretty obvious right from the get go that he wasn't necessarily their guy. And it's it's not that they don't love Bruce, and it's not that they put all of the problems on Bruce alone. I think they see the problems with the roster as much as any anybody else does. But um he, he's just he's not the guy that fits their vision of the future of the Vancouver Canucks, is the way I would put it.
1: And this is, and no I love Bruce. I think he's great in the media. He's, he's great to us. Like I love Bruce and I hope the best for him, but I, I agree. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a marriage that is, is meant to last. Um, speaking of a marriage that maybe isn't meant to last Bo Horvat still without a deal. And it does feel like the more that he plays, the bigger, this number seems to get, because just when you think, oh yeah, Bull Horvat's going to slow down. He doesn't. And he's been absolutely incredible all season. I think, you know, the, I think everybody was surprised that, that JT Miller and Brock Besser got done before Bo Horvat. I was, I was actually shocked. And now I look at the situation. I think it does feel like Bo Horvat, the more he plays is pricing himself out of Vancouver and he'll be out before the trade deadline this season.
0: I, um, I, I, I'm incredibly impressed with Bo Horvat this year. Um, Uh, You know, sometimes uh, players can focus on growing areas of their game that they need to grow or that, you know, they have a weakness in their game and they want to grow that. I think Bo Horvat has gone all in on improving what he's best at, and that is scoring goals. And we saw it towards the tail end of last year. He ended up with a career high in goals, even though he finished the season on the injured reserve list. Um, But he scored 31, and he was on a hell of a hot streak streak to end last season he's carried that into this year he's talked about using a new stick and finding some more deception in his game with his shot I I think he's put a lot of work and thought into how he can be an even better goal scorer than he's already shown in his career but Bo isn't necessarily the playmaking center that you see other guys are Uh, he's not sometimes I do think his two-way reputation is better than what we've actually seen here in Vancouver. He's not the best of penalty killers. He's an incredible face-off guy, one of the best in the league, no doubt. But does that make him a very strong defensive centerman? I, I don't know if that necessarily correlates when you watch Bo Horvat and you look at some of the deep, deeper numbers on his game. But he's certainly made himself more valuable. And it's hard to justify paying him less than they paid JT Miller over the summer. But at the end of the day, the Canucks, whether they like this message being out there or not, they prioritized J.T. Miller over getting their captain done. And I do wonder what that says about the future of Bo Horvat. They haven't come up to the number that's clearly being asked of the Horvat camp. And it does feel the way the season is going. Bo Horvat is becoming maybe more of a trade asset for this front office than he is a part of the long-term solution here in Vancouver if this front office is serious about making changes and making big changes to the roster to the core like they've said they want to do on so many occasions well how do you do that without actually making a significant subtraction from the core and given the contract situation it looks more and more to me in my opinion that it will be Bo Horvat moving out of Vancouver rather than signing a long-term extension.
1: Which is a shame because he's just, again, such a good player and he's your captain. I mean, that that's kind of the biggest thing. I know over time, the whole captain thing has kind of got lost on a lot of people, but that's, that's a weird message to be sending to your fan well, does it, base. Does it
0: send a message that are they over the moon with their captain if they've constantly called out bad habits? And, um, you know, bad practice habits, poor culture in the room. So these sorts of things that we've heard so much about how this front office feels about the roster they inherited. Doesn't some of that fall on the feet of the captain? So I, th- yeah. that, that's part of the reason I wondered like just how serious they are about keeping Bo Horvat in Vancouver.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, I wanted to ask you one more before we, uh, before we get out of here. And does this feel like a year where the Canucks just, they can't just miss the playoffs. Like it's either completely bottom out, which I don't think that they can because I think the roster is too good for that or get into the playoffs, but like missing by four or five points accomplishes absolutely zero with this group.
0: It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything, you know, um, another 15th overall selection or something to that effect, isn't going to improve the long-term health of this roster, especially with the draft, the way that it is. I, I do think, you know, any move that they're looking to make is, is now, one with more of a future thought in mind, you know, um, will they move on uh, a big contract and and maybe take some money back? Like, you know, an expiring deal, uh, to, in order to open up some cap flexibility for next year and next off season. Absolutely. I think so. I I think they would be willing to do that. Um, you know, if they do end up moving on from Orvat at some point, you know, that's going to help them in maybe using this season as a reset, but, it's hard to imagine they get to a point where they're, you know, a bottom five talent team like we see in Arizona or Chicago or Anaheim and the way that they've played this year. And those three teams are only in the Western conference. So, you know, there's, there's other teams that are definitely going to be on the tank radar. And I just don't think the Canucks are one of them. You know, it's going to have to take a few subtractions from the roster and uh, you know, shutting a bunch of guys down with uh, random injuries towards the end of the year in order to, to get those results. But I do think the, the, the thinking of the front office, the way they are headed is more towards, uh, we're not doing anything to save the season necessarily. We are uh, doing things that we hope are going to help the long-term
1: health of the Vancouver Canucks in the next two to three year window. I think that's, I think this year is already about next year. That's where yeah. I think we're at. I, I think that's 100% accurate. Uh, Dan, listen. Yeah, it's not
0: the rebuild that Canucks fans like, have, have yearned for since Jim Benning was hired, and I know some people are already clamoring for it because of how the roster is currently shaped, but um, I, I do think there are changes coming to Vancouver in the, in the, the shorter future.
1: And they've got talent, let's face it. There's some really good players on this team. So I, I don't think that the reset is gonna take all that long for them to accomplish. Dan, uh, always appreciate you taking some time for me, buddy. Uh, we miss you out here in Toronto and uh continued success over at 650, buddy. Thanks a bunch. Allez, allez rouge. <laughs> there he goes. Canada Soccer's biggest fan, Dan Riccio. One of our favorites. And that. The words that he spoke about the Vancouver Canucks are true. Whatever moves that they make, everything is going to be towards the future here. And I cannot see a situation where Bo Horvat does not get dealt. Unless they miraculously turn this thing around, in which Bruce Boudreaux is going to continue to be the coach. I don't see a situation where Bo Horvat is a member of this organization after the trade deadline. His value at this point in time with the year that he's having, if he continues on this role, is way too high to take a chance that, you know, if you don't re sign him, that he's just going to walk for nothing. They can't, they cannot take that chance at this point in their reset, if that's what we want to call it. But the signing of JT Miller, less so JT Miller, more the signing of Brock Besser to an extension and not Bo Horvat really kind of speaks volumes as to where this organization's at with their captain. And he has really shown up this year. And he's shown that, okay, you don't want me. Somebody else is going to get a good player here. And Bo Horvat's absolutely rolling. There are 31 other teams that would love to have Bo Horvat. I mean, some of them. Less so because they're not going anywhere. But could you imagine a team like the Colorado Avalanche with all their LTIR space with Gabe Landeskog on the shelf making a move for Bo Horvat? Shall I say potential repeat champions? I think I should. Thank you to everyone that joined me on the program today. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Jim Ralph, radio analyst for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Liam McHugh from the NHL on TNT, and Dan Riccio, you just heard him, host of Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. For my help behind the glass, Frank Barasca on the cameras, Lance Kennedy on the musical keys. I'm Matt Marchese, in for Jeff Merrick. You've been listening to The Jeff Merrick Show. He's back on Monday on Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll talk to you on Monday.